I don't think I can think of a better final score for a baseball game than Orioles 14 and Yankees 1. But that's what we got in the Bronx on Thursday night. And Gunnar Henderson was a huge part of it. Had four hits in four innings, including two homers. We'll recap the huge Orioles win. Plus, Joe Doyle comes on the pod to talk the MLB draft and wonder, can the Orioles find the next Gunnar Henderson with the draft on Sunday night? But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Friday, July 7th, 2023, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are going to recap the Orioles' massive 14-1 demolishing, clobbering, blowout win over the New York Yankees. I'll get you the five things you need to know from that one, including a huge historic day from Gunnar Henderson, Ryan O'Hearn continuing to mash, and Kyle Bradish putting together another great start. Then we will welcome a guest onto the podcast for the first time in a while. It is Joe Doyle, who covers the MLB Draft over at Future Star Series. Joe's been on the pod over the last few years talking Orioles draft strategy, and he will do so again on today's episode because the MLB Draft is creeping up on us. It's on Sunday. It's just two days away. So we'll talk about the O's who, well, they got to do things a little bit differently this year. Not picking number one, picking at number 17. So who could they target And what's the strategy? That's coming up with Joe Doyle later on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. So we start today with an Orioles throttling of the Yankees in the Bronx. Final score, Orioles 14 and Yankees 1. The final from Yankee Stadium in New York on Thursday night as the O's, after dropping the first two games of this series, come back and win the final two and split the four-game set, two games apiece with the Yankees. With the W, the Orioles get to 51-35 and on the season and get back to four games ahead of New York as the O's continue to hold that number one wildcard spot in the American League with just three games to go until the All-Star break. And I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' 14-1 win over the Yankees. And the first thing you need to know is that was, bar none, the Orioles' best offensive performance of the season. The O's put up 14 runs, that's a season high, on 20 hits, also a season high, to clobber the Yankees in this one. Got it started with a Gunnar Henderson leadoff homer in the first Then the Orioles had one of their best innings of the season. A seven-run third inning knocked Yankee starter Luis Severino out of the game and just put this one out of reach. It was 8-0 after three. Then they decided, well, that's probably not enough. Let's get a few more. They get five more in the fourth as well, one more in the eighth, and that is the 14 runs for the Orioles. Eight of nine Orioles starters had a hit, nine different, or ten different Orioles, I should say, in total had a hit. In this game, everybody that played got on base. It was just the merry-go-round going for this Orioles offense. 
just demolishing Yankee pitching in this game. It was incredibly fun to watch. They had 23 hard-hit balls in this one. Nobody for the Yankees pitched particularly well, and the Orioles just, wow. The O's have gotten drubbed in this stadium before. Nice to see the tides kind of turn on this one for the O's. They had seven runs on eight hits in that third inning. It was their first eight-hit inning since 2017, and it was their first eight-hit inning against the Yankees since 2009. So that doesn't happen a lot, but it did on Thursday night. Second thing you need to know from this one is that Gunnar Henderson, he was the catalyst of this offensive explosion. I mentioned that he opened the game with a solo home run. It was his 12th of the year off of Yankee starter Luis Severino. Goes the other way, just 95 off the bat, but it travels 346 feet for a solo homer on a 3-2 fastball to open up the game. And I've talked about this plenty of times before this year, but when Gunnar Henderson is hitting homers to the opposite field, that's when you know he's super locked in. And that was the case on Thursday night. But he would not be done. Gunnar Henderson ended up 4-for-7 in this game with two homers and five RBIs. He had six hard-hit balls. He had one strikeout in this game. Every ball he put in play was 95 miles per hour off the bat or more. Also added a three-run homer in the fourth inning that made it a 12-0 game as the O's were just completely pulling away at that point. That one he hit 108 off the bat, crushed it 416 feet for a three-run homer. Four for four with two singles and two homers through four innings of this game. It was just a ridiculous performance from Gunnar Henderson. He just gets better and better. OPS back up over 800 after this one. Just a fun baseball player to watch. Third thing you need to know from the O's 14-1 win over the Yankees is Ryan O'Hearn just continues to crush the baseball. He had that little mini slump, the 2-for-23 he was in about a week ago. And I talked about here on the pod how I wasn't super concerned because he was still hitting the ball hard at about a 50% hard hit rate despite the mini slump. Well, he's broken out of the mini slump and he is back to the Ryan O'Hearn we know and love. O'Hearn with a 3-for-4 day on Thursday night with a double, a couple of singles, and four RBIs to go along with a walk as well. All four balls he put in play were hard-hit balls. I mean, basically, what is new for Ryan O'Hearn? 95, 100, 106, and 97 were the exit velocities for O'Hearn. Now, he didn't leave the ballpark in this one like he did Wednesday night when he hit the two-run homer in the ninth inning, but he just continues to mash. He's got a spot in this lineup. Until he goes cold and stops hitting it hard, I don't care who the O's call up. You know, we could see Ryan Mountcastle back here soon. They could start thinking about Heston Kerstad at the big leagues. It doesn't matter right now. Ryan O'Hearn has to be in this lineup. He is kind of cemented in as the number four hitter, and he's deserved it. That's how good he has been. Fourth thing you need to know from this one as we shift to the bottom part of the order, Adam Frazier shined in a game he wasn't even supposed to be starting. As Frazier was not in the Orioles' initial lineup, But Aaron Hicks was a late scratch from the lineup. Didn't quite get word yet as I record here on about 10.30 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday night. It was left Achilles soreness for Aaron Hicks as Rockabaco reported after the game. So hopefully he's all good moving forward. But he was moved out of the lineup. The Orioles still wanted to DH Cedric Mullins. So Colton Kowser got his first start in center field. And Adam Frazier went out there to left field. And not only did he hit in this game, along with the other Orioles, three for six with a double and a couple of singles, he also had an outfield assist in the eighth inning of a 14-0 game, 
Jose Trevino hits a line drive into the left field corner to open the inning, tries to run on Adam Frazier, and as I've always said, you simply cannot run on Adam Frazier when he's playing left field, guns out Trevino at second base. That was when you knew, I mean, it was already 14-0, so you knew before then, but that was really when you knew, okay, the Orioles could do no wrong in Thursday night's game. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from this one is that don't overlook the pitching because Kyle Bradish was sensational in this game. Now, nobody's going to probably remember because the Orioles put up 14 runs, but Bradish was once again incredible. Six scoreless innings for Bradish against this Yankee order. Just three hits allowed. He struck out five and walked only two on 92 pitches. Did have seven hard hit balls against him, but he lowered his ERA to 3.32 on the season. And what do you know, it was very, very effective breaking balls once again for Kyle Bradish. Now, he didn't have his best stuff. He only had seven total whiffs on 39 swings. He threw more fastballs than usual, probably because of the scoreline. I'm fine with him throwing more fastballs when the team, you know, puts him up 8 nothing and then 13 nothing. you know, pretty immediately in the game. But the breaking stuff was good. He threw a whole lot of strikes, and he did exactly what you want to do anytime, but especially when you get a big lead early, work quickly, throw strikes, get in and out of innings fast. He never really got himself into many jams at all in his six innings, and he was great. And then shout out to Nick Vespi, who threw two scoreless innings after him in the pen. And shout out to Edward Bizardo, who came out and made his Orioles debut in the ninth inning, did allow a run that was unearned on a kind of tough error on Ramona Rios. But I thought Bizardo's stuff was pretty interesting as well. Maybe he could be a middle relief option for the O's moving forward. But the three of them combined for the 14-1 Orioles win. Now, got to give you a little extra thing to know from this game because I just had to comment on the fact that is Brandon Hyde the first manager to be ejected in the eighth inning when his team is leading by 14 runs? He's the first manager to ever get ejected at any time in a game when his team's up by 14. He's got to be just a weird situation in the eighth inning when Wandy Peralta, usually with great command, almost hits Ryan O'Hearn in the head with a fastball, then does hit Colton Kowser in the elbow. The umpires come together. They warn both teams. And... The Orioles didn't do anything to get a warning, but umpires feel like they have to warn both teams. They warn the Yankees, they warn the Orioles, and Brandon Hyde comes out of the dugout basically to say, hey, why are we being warned? Because he knows, okay, if Nick Vespi accidentally hits somebody in the bottom of the eighth, he's going to get thrown out of the game, and the Orioles are going to have to get another pitcher up, and you don't want that, especially in a 14-0 game. So Hyde comes out to ask, okay, why are you warning both teams when they hit us? And he's immediately ejected by Dan Iasonia, the home plate umpire. Can't understand why, can't believe he got ejected up 14-0, but it was just another crazy part of this game, and you know what? It's kind of just funny to laugh at now, because the O's beat the Yankees 14-1, and we can laugh at the Yankees heading all the way to Minnesota for the Orioles' next series. And that is what's up next for the Orioles. Orioles and Twins in Minnesota, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You can catch every pitch of the Orioles' hometown radio broadcast of all three games with the SXM app through SiriusXM. Just download the app and search Orioles. A quick preview of the series before we let you go. 8, 10 p.m. Eastern time start on Friday. Remember, that game is on Apple TV Plus tonight. You must be subscribed. It's Cole Irvin going up against Bailey Ober, who dominated the Orioles last weekend. Saturday is a 2-10 start, Tyler Wells versus Sonny Gray. And then Sunday at 2-10, Kyle Gibson against Joe Ryan. 
to finish out the first half of the season. Not going to do a fuller preview because the Orioles literally just played the Twins last weekend. Minnesota came in, took two of three from the Orioles. O's scored only three runs in three games against one of the best pitching staffs in all of baseball, starters and bullpen. So they'll see that team again, except this time on the road in Minnesota. But also coming up this weekend, starting on Sunday evening, is the MLB draft. And it's been a pretty exciting time for the Orioles and their fans over the last few years because the O's have been picking so high in the draft as they've been tanking through the rebuild. They've gotten the number one pick a couple of times, the number two pick, the number five pick since Elias has taken over. But this year, it's a little different. The O's had a winning record last year. They came just three games out of a playoff spot. And they ended up with the number 17 pick in the first round of the MLB draft. So the question is, how does that change things for the O's? Picking 17th a year after they picked first, got Jackson Holiday, and definitely made the right decision. Well, we're going to be joined by Joe Doyle to talk about that one. He covers the MLB draft for the Future Stars series. He's been on this podcast before talking about Orioles draft classes, and we're going to talk about who the O's could take at number 17, who they're targeting, who could be there. Would the O's potentially take a pitcher in the first round for the first time? And how does the strategy change picking lower in the draft? That's all coming up with Joe Doyle right after this. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by GameTime. GameTime is such a great app for me because you can get stressed out buying tickets sometimes. The prices are high. You're trying to find them last minute. You're not sure if you'll get the tickets in time. Game time takes away all of that stress. I use the Game Time app all the time to buy last-minute tickets because I've talked about it. I live within walking distance of Oriole Park. I can kind of wait to the last minute to go to a game. Then I decide to buy the tickets right on the Game Time app, and I go to the game. Game Time is the place for last-minute ticket deals. You don't have to plan in advance, and the Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. And you can get exclusive flash deals on tickets for Orioles games. I do it all the time right there on an app that's super easy to use. And you get the tickets in a matter of seconds. You don't have to wait. They're sent directly to your phone. You scan them at the gate and go right into Camden Yards. So snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account. Redeem code locked on MLB for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. All right, so once again, he is becoming kind of the regular draft analyst for the Locked On Orioles podcast. Joe Doyle is back with us from the Future Star series. He covers the draft, all things prospects. And Joe, once again, thank you for hopping on the podcast. Absolutely, Connor. How you been, man? I've been great. And, uh, you know, we've had you on the last couple of years when the Orioles have been, I'll say, in a very different spot for the draft. Uh, we we talked about, you know, in 2022, what would the Orioles do at number one? They ended up picking Jackson Holiday. Seems like across the board, people feel uh, that that was the correct selection as he is now once again, the number one prospect in baseball for the Orioles. Uh, and in 2021, you know, it was interesting at least to see what the Orioles would do at five. That was pretty low for the Michael Elias regime to be picking. Colton Kowser's knocking on the door of the big leagues at this point. So, so far, so good. I guess my first thing to talk about is we're going to have a very different conversation this time with the Orioles at 17 because it is not just we've got our pick of the litter or hey, we got a couple of guys we're targeting that we know are going to be there at, at five or two or whatever it may be. 
probably a lot more wide open and the first time that Elias and crew have, have had to really do it this way. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I do still think knowing Mike Elias and knowing how Brad Selig and those guys like to operate, I would still be surprised if they didn't follow a similar philosophy with that being kind of upside, maybe under slot and kind of get a little bit creative with the draft. But at this point, I, I don't really know what you can say about what Baltimore has done in past drafts. They've continued to knock it out. And the fact that Jackson Holiday is already the number one prospect in baseball, when I think you could make the argument 14 months ago, people weren't even sure if he was going to be a top 10 pick. Uh, kind of just speaks volumes to how strong Baltimore's player development system is and how strong their uh, scouting process is. Yeah, this seems to be, and I get that it's the number one pick and you were still getting a great player no matter who you were drafting, but that seems to be the number one culmination of draft strategy and player development is Jackson Holiday being this good, this quickly. He's, he's going to finish this year in double A most likely and Orioles fans are going to be salivating for a second half 2024 Jackson Holiday call up. That is how good he has been. But on this year's draft, um, it could always happen. You probably won't find a Jackson Holiday at 17. You never know, but you probably won't. But where we start is, okay, there's a lot of different names that the Orioles could have fall to them at 17. And, and we know how the O's have gone in these drafts, players up the middle with a lot of upside, as you talked about. Uh, there's a lot of shortstops here again. Um, and a lot of college shortstops who are really, really good. I know in your mock in, in mid-June, you had Jacob Gonzalez from Ole Miss in that spot, who I would feel would be a, a very, very Orioles pick. So I just wanted to ask, first of all, kind of about the shortstops in this draft, because we know the O's are going to do one thing, somebody up the middle with some upside, and they're probably going to play shortstop. Yeah, I just think, you know, you look at this draft, and while it's solid on the college shortstop side you look at Jacob Gonzalez you look at Jacob Wilson I think both of those guys are are really solid players the high school shortstop class is really exceptional both in quality and quantity I mean I think you could make the argument that there's seven or eight high school shortstops that could go in like the top 50 picks this year and knowing what Baltimore has done in past drafts I would I would be surprised if they weren't targeting a similar player or one of those high school shortstops and so with, with the amount of talent there is on the high school side of things and the fact that Baltimore picks at 17, it wouldn't surprise me if they went with an underslot deal at 17 and, and kind of grabbed a player that you know, maybe uh, people think should go in like the 25 to 35 range. They save a little bit of money and then they drag down a high school shortstop to their second pick. I think that'd be very, very Baltimore. And you kind of look at what, what they've done in the past with Heston Kerstad, what they've done with Colton Kowser. I think it would be very on brand for the team as well, but Listen, at 17, this is a brand new conversation for them. It's a deep draft. I think there's a lot of high school pitchers. I think there's some college pitchers. I think there's some uh, shortstops that are spread out all over the top 50. And frankly, the way that the first round is kind of laying itself out, a ton of these players fit the Orioles model. So it should be fun. Yeah, and and, and one of the guys that, that you've written about, and I've seen this name continue to kind of rise up the boards, is a high school shortstop, Arjun Damala, who... I haven't really known much about, just wanted to ask you about him because I feel like I hadn't seen his name a lot until the last month or so. And now the sudden on a lot of mocks, here he is in the top 20 and it seems like it could be an option there in the first round. Yeah. No, I mean, not the two my own horn, but I've had Arjun Namala as a top 10 player since like February. I think he's an absolutely fanatical type of player. He's a guy that you can uh, easily, easily root for just happy, go lucky, always smiling. The thing that I love about Namala is there's nobody like him. I mean, he is of Indian descent. He spent the better part of his upbringing playing cricket and really just dedicated himself to baseball in the last couple of years. 
And I think the reason that Baltimore is going to fall in love with him is one, he checks the box of having game power. Like he is going to stay up the middle of the field and he's got power and impact that he can bring to the lineup. But the other part is he's going to be 17 in this draft. And anybody that kind of pays attention to draft models and how people and how scouts evaluate talent, if you're looking at a kid that's 17 and he's not going to turn 19 until after the 2024 season, the amount of growth and development that is still ahead of that player uh, is pretty exceptional. So should he be on the board at 17, which I think is a, a distinct possibility, he is right down the Orioles lane. Yeah, get a get a 17-year-old with that much upside already into the Orioles hitting lab. Yeah. Um, let, let those guys work. Get him uh, on the Jackson Holiday track. I had a couple guys I wanted to ask about, which is more of like a selfish ask for me. One guy I know you did mention in connection with the Orioles in your latest mock. Another one is just my favorite player in the first round. The first one is Chase Davis. That is only because if you had to ask me to pick one player I'd like to hit, watch hit home runs in college baseball this year, it's Chase Davis. I just want to watch him swing. I want to watch him hit 450-foot home runs at all times. And I just want to kind of ask, like, is there the flip side of that player, which is like, you know, you see the Elijah Green from last year where it's like you see the monster homers, and then you look at like his 50% almost strikeout rate from this year. Is there any of that there for Chase Davis? Like, what kind of player can he be? That's a great question. Uh, the, the short answer is no. Uh, that side, that, that flip side of Chase Davis doesn't exist. He checked every single box this year. He didn't chase pitches. He didn't swing out uh, or he didn't um, strike out. He didn't expand the zone. I mean, he he hit sliders, changeups, fastballs. Like he covered everything. Chase Davis has done everything this season that I think you would want to see him do, which is kind of interesting because he wasn't that player in 2022. There was chase in his game. There was strikeouts in his game. So I think scouts are looking at that with a fine tooth comb saying, okay, which, you know, is this a Jekyll and Hyde type of thing is, are we going to get 2022 Chase Davis? Or are we going to get 2023 Chase Davis? The sample size is pretty big this season. And I think scouts kind of take that as a pretty confident sign. The only thing with Chase that I think people, I, I think scouts are kind of questioning a little bit is where does he play? Like he does have a strong arm, but he's probably only an average runner, maybe a fringy runner. He's a big, strong, barrel-chested kid, so I think the possibility exists that he slows down a little bit as he gets older. But I mentioned earlier in this interview, you said, you know, what what could the what could the Orioles do at 17? How could they get creative? I think Chase Davis is the perfect example of a guy you take at 17. Maybe you save like three, four, five hundred thousand dollars on that pick because there is risk of him falling into the 25 to 35 range. You save that money, and then with that next pick in the second round the Orioles can really go gangbusters. Yeah, and, and that's that's an attractive thing too, and and, and just getting him mm -hmm. into the system. He kind of put Arizona on his back in the Pac-12 tournament this year, and I think they were like the seven or eight seed and was just hitting home run after home run at like 2 a.m. Eastern time uh, during the college baseball <laughs> tournaments this year. But the other guy I got to ask about, and I, I, you know, it's okay if the answer is no, I'll be a little hurt, but is there any Matt Shaw Orioles rumblings? Because listen, as my listeners know, I am in the tank for Maryland baseball. I've had a close relationship with that program forever. Matt Shaw is one of the best players to ever come out of this program. And an All-American, he lived up to all of the hype and more this season for the Terps. He was an awesome hitter in the middle of the order, Big Ten Player of the Year. And pretty much throughout the year, I don't think he's ever dipped for many people outside of kind of a first-round talent. So he could be mm -hmm. there. The question is, is there any possibility there for him and, and staying home with the Orioles? Well, I can tell you that the Orioles definitely really like Matt Sean. They've seen him a ton. Now, that being said, I don't think he's going to be there at 17, if I'm being totally honest with you. Uh, we'll see what happens. I, you know, I think the floor for Matt Shaw seems to be 18. Um, so if he's on the board at 17, I think he makes a whole lot of sense for the Orioles. 
he's just another one of those hitters in this class that like checks all of the model characteristics that you're looking for in a player. Now he is a second baseman. He is limited defensively, but if you are getting a second baseman that, you know, you've seen the comps to like Brian Dozier, a type of player that, you know, hits 265, 270 and runs into 24 home runs a season. Like you got to be really excited about with, uh, about that with the 17th pick. So uh, my gut says he's not going to be there at 17, but if he is there, I'm sure he's going to be a pretty massive consideration. Yeah, he, he played every game at shortstop this year, but you can kind of tell watching him, like he'll be very comfortable at second. He makes some highlight reel plays, but sure. the arm and and some of the, the, the day-to-day plays aren't his strong suit, but that's okay. He was uh he was awesome this season. So Why we've talked that? about yeah. yeah. We've talked about a, a couple of names. I have to ask the question that is asked by every Orioles fan in the world, which is the Orioles system in terms of pitching versus hitting, everyone knows. The pitching, although the development team has been great, just the talent in there is well behind what the hitting talent is. So the next question from everyone is, could they target a pitcher in this year's draft? It seems like maybe a Hurston Waldrop type could be there potentially, and the upside could be tremendous on him. Is it a possibility for the Orioles to, for the first time in the Elias era, take a they haven't taken a full-time pitcher before the fifth round since Elias has taken over. The only pitcher they took before that was Nolan McClain last year as a two-way player, and he didn't sign. Is there any potential of it happening in the first round or even in the first few rounds? Because, again, they haven't done it before the fifth. My gut says that's actually the, the direction that they're going to go. If, if I was a betting man today, five days, six days before the draft, I would think that they are going to go the pitching route. I don't know if that's going to be Hurston Waldrop. I don't know if that means Noble Meyer could be there at 17. I'll throw a name out that I think really has a huge possibility of, of ending up in Baltimore just because it's an organization like Nolan McLean where they like to take risks. Bryce Eldridge, I think, makes a ton of sense for Baltimore. He checks the box of being a six-foot, seven-inch, left-handed hitting you know, high schooler with massive power and, you know, budding athleticism all over the, all over the diamond, but also a guy that's been up to 97 on the mound with a good slider and feel for a changeup. Like that's the type of guy that I think Mike Elias would like to take risks on, especially if you're picking 17th in the draft. So keep an eye on that one. You know, they, they do tend to go shortstops and infielders and guys up the middle of the field in the first round. But if there was ever a year for Baltimore to take a risk, maybe go the two-way guy, Go with a guy that could pitch. Go with a guy that could hit 40 home runs. Not saying that's going to happen, but that's kind of the upside you're talking about. Bryce Eldridge would be that guy. Yeah, so we've we we've talked about a, a lot of different names, and there's some other guys. I know Braden Taylor has been a name that's been interesting for some, and uh, just you know, at 17, it's 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 harder to parse out who could potentially be available there. But is there a name that is maybe a little more off? the board is not going to be in everybody's top 10 or 15 is not going to be there on anybody's mock draft at number 17 for the Orioles that you could see, you know, it probably would it be a guy who falls into that. Hey, we're going to underslot a bit here. And then with that comp pick, we're going to go get somebody big. Is there a name or two there that, that could fall there to the O's? I'll give you a good one. And I've heard this name connected to Baltimore in the past. Uh, not recently, but I think he is the type of underslot guy and Baltimore type of pick that makes a lot of sense. Michigan State shortstop Mitch Jeb. Keep an eye on that guy. Uh, you're going to find him probably in the 45 to 65 range on most boards, but he's a contact hitting shortstop, makes a ton of contact, plays a decent shortstop, but he has the versatil- uh, versatility to play third base and left field. Well, even played a little bit of center field, I believe, on the Cape, if I remember correctly, and I could be mistaken on that. But versatile, left-handed hitting, has some juice, plays shortstop, is is driven by a fantastic 
bat to ball contact hit tool. I think that's the type of guy that, you know, maybe he sneaks in at 17. And uh, if you take Mitch Jeb at 17, you know, maybe save a million bucks then the Baltimore Orioles can really go crazy with their second and third pick really overspend at those spots. Yeah. Maybe one of those, one of those high school shortstops is still there and you can, you can coax them from there, you know, most likely sec commitment um, for a lot of those guys. Um, but Hey, you know, if it's not going to be Matt Shaw, I'll take another big 10 shortstop. I will boost up big 10 baseball uh, for as long as I can here on this podcast. Last question I had for you, Joe, is just, you know, do you think, and you mentioned it, you don't think a lot changes. What do you think is, it could be philosophy. It could be how you scout. Like, what do you think is the biggest change going year to year for this front office from having the number one pick and the most bonus lot money to the number 17 pick, a, a pick where, you know, the lowest they've picked is fifth under Brad Selig mm-hmm. and Mike Elias. Like, what do you think would be the number one difference in just the process leading up to the draft or on, on the couple of draft days itself from one now to 17? I think a lot changes, but I don't think it's necessarily the fact that they're picking 17th. I think it's maybe more of, you look at their competitive window. I mean, the, the Baltimore Orioles are here to stay. And on top of that, they have a farm system that is here to stay too. It's already rich, thick in talent. Now, I think you have to look at it from a philosophical standpoint of we need pitching. The Baltimore Orioles need pitching. And I think ultimately the way that they're going to acquire pitching is going to be through trading some of their top prospects for that pitching. I don't think that they've necessarily shown that they're a team that is is foundationally built on developing pitching, even though they have developed some pretty good arms. They develop hitters. There's no doubt about that. And they've done it year over year over year. So I would think that they should continue to go back to what their strong suit is, and that is developing, identifying, and drafting uh, hitters first. I mean, look at what they've done with Judd Fabian. Judd Fabian was a mess at the plate at Florida, and he's turned into a legitimate potential top 100 prospect as we move into 2024. If you continue doing more and more of that and you leverage those prospects into trading for the arms that you need eventually, I think that's going to be the safer route for what Baltimore is best at. And I think that's probably the ta- uh, the take the tact that they will take moving forward. Yeah, it'll be definitely interesting. And, and they're going to add pitching. Like they're not going to go the whole draft without adding a solid amount of pitching. We've seen them find a few guys who, you know, the guy like Justin Armbruster who just got the AAA, like, you know, a, a third day pick and, you know, is starting to look like a guy who could be in the big leagues next year and, and help the Orioles. So there's guys there. But I think what O's fans want is like, give us that shiny, sexy name on the mound that we mm-hmm. know, you know, a guy from college that we know. Um, that could maybe rise up the system a little faster, but we'll uh, we'll see if 2023 is the year for that. But Joe, thank you so much once again for joining us. Let everybody know where they can find you, where they can find your draft work here uh, over this last week before this 2023 MLB draft kicks off. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Joe Doyle, M-I-L-B. You can find all of my work, all my writing over at futurestarsseries.com. You can find an exclusive MLB draft uh podcast over at overslot or patreon.com slash overslot there's a 35 minute baltimore orioles preview posted there for you if you want to listen to it and then finally next week we will have our final mock draft and our final top 614 prospects for the 2023 draft posted free to read for free well joe thank you so much again for joining us and uh i know your life gets a little more exciting probably a little more stressful over the next week or so but good luck with draft coverage and uh we're excited to see who the orioles select All right, Connor. Always appreciate it, man.